applications or pray that they're refreshed. Yes. It's good to uh, take a break every now and then. You know, Jesus, you know, sometimes we don't realize uh, how much we need rest. Rest actually is not an option. Rest is a commandment, you know that? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And the reason why God created rest is so that you will rest. <laughs> and then when you rest, it gives your body time to, you know, heal itself. You know there is rest in heaven. So when you, we get to heaven, we get to rest. It's not all worship all the time. See, the Bible says that uh, the earth came out of the heavens. So everything on earth is a reflection of what is in heaven. Just like you're not at church seven days, 24, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you get to heaven, it's the same way. There will be times of worshiping the Lord. Then there are times that you get to walk, right? Because when God put Adam in the garden, he put him to do what? To walk. And that was before sin. And that was the perfect situation. And so you have to walk when you get to heaven. See, Jesus says that those who overcome like he overcame will do what? Rule with him. So if you have to rule something, that means you have to exert force. You have to force something to come into alignment with you. Now you say, well, what are we ruling over? You see, Isaiah says that the increase of the kingdom of God, there will be no end. So scientists are just realizing there are galaxies. Why is God making galaxies and all those things? Because he wants his kingdom to be established in every realm. The earth is just one realm. Scientists are trying to figure out if there's life on another planet. Who knows? There probably is. Because God is always creating things. And he's creating it for you and I. Because only you and I are qualified to carry God. You know, that's our whole existence. The only reason why we exist is to carry God. So we are the address of God. Your body is the address of God. So instead of praying and looking up to heaven, you pray and you look inside of you. What did Jesus say? Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So, this is not actually what I'm supposed to talk about. But in heaven, in the presence of God, there is a water, there is a living water that flows from the throne of God. You know, you never see the Holy Spirit mentioned in heaven. You have God the Father, you have Jesus. Where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the living water that flows from the throne of God. 
and it flows from the throne of God and it flows right into your heart. And Jesus says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So, each of us are the address of God. So instead of always waiting for pastor to pray for you, that's actually backwards. Because God expects that every one of us, we are his residence, we are his address. So if there is a problem, you become a point, a pointer, a connection from God to people around you. That is what the church is meant to be. And so we are going to be surprised because we are going to realize that when you get to heaven, you will go to school. Just like you go to school here. You get to work. Just like you get to work here. And you have times where you come out and worship God. Remember in Job, he says that when the sons of God came, right? The sons of God came to worship God. And what did Satan do? Satan showed up. That means that it's not all the time that the sons of God are worshiping God in heaven. There are times that they come to worship God, and in one of those times, Satan came. Actually, the children are, <laughs> I forgot to say they can go. So there are specific, just like the military. See, the military on earth, God has a military division. And the angel, uh, what's, that, what's the angel's name? Not Gabriel. Michael is the general, is the head. So God has divisions, just like on earth. So you realize that the earth is an absolute replica of heaven. If you want to know if there is animals in heaven, is there animals on earth? There is animals on earth. Are there cultures in heaven? Are there cultures in earth? There is cultures in heaven. You'll be surprised that when you get to heaven, maybe you don't like native Indians, but you realize that God loves native Indians and he likes their attire and how they worship God and you see them in their attire. You say, why would they have the attire in heaven of native Indians? Well, you don't technically have clothes, but your clothing is your character. It's righteousness. That's a clothing. And so depending on how you walk with the Lord here, you may have a very fine dress in heaven signifying how you served God on earth. And then you may have some people that don't have much of a dress because they barely served God here and they went to heaven. So, the Bible says that we are called to grow and to mature into the fullness of Jesus. So, I'm going to talk about living with understanding. But when you think of someone that's a mature believer, what, what do you think of? Why do you consider them a mature believer? How do you assess someone that's a mature believer? Are they a mature believer because they've been going to church all their life? Are they mature believers because they've been saved the longest? 
are they mature believers because they can quote every scripture in the Bible? I actually meant this to be like a, <laughs> a Bible study where you can respond to me, be more interactive. And uh, I like where Mike was going because that means the Spirit of the Lord is one. Because a mature believer, the Bible says you cannot become coming to the kingdom of God unless you're like children. And children are very simplistic. They have an innocence about them. Which is why many of us get angry at some of the things that are going on. Because like, why do you need to expose children to things? They're very, they're innocent. They're, they believe you, they believe their parents. If you tell them to jump, <laughs> they will jump into your hand because they believe you'll catch them. Whether you're strong enough to catch them, you get to worry about that. They don't have to worry about that, right? And then children, they have an awe about them. It's like they're expectant, very exciting, excited. You know, that is how God wants us to be. Sometimes we have um, this mindset that's among the young people of um, entitlement mindset. And I don't blame them because many of them, you know, have been indoctrinated. And some, many times, I feel for the young people because some of the strongest people that are opposed God are young people who came out of Christian homes, but they saw their parents live one thing and preach another thing, and so they hate God because of what they saw. But children are very impressionable. Daniel will do what I do. <laughs> which is kind of funny. You know, they do what they see you do. That's what children do. You know, when God gives you something, He expects thankfulness and all about. It's like when you receive something from God, are you excited, you want to try it, or you just want to go for the next thing? Children forgive very easily. That's something that, it's like my, my daughter and my son, it's like they fight each other and then next thing you know, you say sorry, sorry, they give each other a hug and then they go to playing again. That's something about children that I believe the Lord wants us to have more, is that they forgive easily. They don't hold any grudges, they don't hold any offense. So I've come to realize that the more you become, you grow in the Lord, the, less, the more you become like children, the easier you forgive. The more simple you become, not simple in the sense that you're naive, but simple in the sense that your knowledge and working with sin is very simple, but knowledge of the Lord is more. And so the Lord wants us to become like children. 
And if we are to live together, then that means there is work for us to understand one another. Because when you do life together, you rub each other. And unfortunately, the people that hurt you the most are the people that love you the most. And I don't know why that is. They don't necessarily meant to do that, it just happens, which means that you're going to develop a whole thick skin of forgiveness to forgive easily. And so, I just want to talk about living with understanding, because that's where, if we are to see the glory of God, we need oneness, we need unity. If we don't come together and and learn to live together and forgive one another, then we might be going around in circles. And if the Lord likes us, He will allow situations to get tough. That's why persecutions come. Because when persecutions come, you're not throwing around trying to admire your beautiful house and everything. <laughs> That's the last thing you're thinking about. You just want the next person that can help you. And that's really what, where God is getting to, where we come and become one and put away our differences and forgive each other. So let's look at an example. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. And you tell me who you think was a mature Christian in this situation. Galatians chapter 5, we'll read verse, I mean Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. And I want you to put yourself in this situation and you tell me what you would do. <laughs> because we think of you know, you think of uh, a matured Christian as someone that's always, you know, prophesying, walking in the gifts and all those things. Satan does all those, all those things too. And you get to a point where those things doesn't impress you anymore. Because people still do all those things and they don't live right with the Lord. But the closer you get to the Lord, the more you become like Him. And the greatest thing about becoming more like the Lord is you learn to forgive very easily. And you don't just learn to forgive very easily. <laughs> you learn to realize that you are a much bigger sinner than you realize. In Galatians chapter 2, this is what happened, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I which stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Okay. For before that certain came from James, that certain man came from James the Apostle, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision and the other Jews, this likewise with him in so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation 
But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, so Paul is rebuking the apostle Peter in front of everyone. If you, being a Jew, live after the man of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compare the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So, the Jews, all the apostles, early apostles were Jews. So, they were Jude, they came from Judaism, right? And Jesus is talking to them that they're going to take the gospel starting from Jerusalem to Judea, Galilee, to the rest of the world. But when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, they only preached the gospels to who? Only Jews. They didn't preach to Gentiles because according to them, Gentiles were unclean. They weren't fit for the gospel. And then God even showed Peter a vision and told him, don't cause anything I call clean, unclean. And Peter's like, I can eat unclean stuff. And so God took the vision away. But then they were only preaching to Jews. And then God caused persecution to happen so that they were kicked out of Jerusalem. And then they went to other places and as they went, they still only preached to Jews. So it's realized how much God has to walk through us and walk with us to get us out of our boxes and out of our experiences of wherever we came from. Because that's what he was doing with the apostles. So much so that Peter finally seemed to begin to mingle and get out in us with Jews, unbelievers, I mean non-Jews. And then here comes some people that came from James and they came with Peter and then when Peter saw them, he started acting like only Jews. I can't associate with Gentiles. And then the Bible says that Paul rebuked him. Now, I don't know if uh, how it's written is probably not how it happened. Now, someone like rebuked you sharply in front of everyone that you felt embarrassed. I think that's how it happened. And Peter, the Bible didn't say that Peter <laughs> retaliated or did anything. Now, if you know Peter before he denied Jesus, right? Peter is the one that speaks for everyone. He doesn't, he doesn't wait twice. He just like says what comes to his mind. He blows it out. He denied Jesus in a jiffy. He didn't even think about it. He thought about it later on, and then he regretted it. But now we see a different kind of Peter. So when Galatians was written, this is Paul writing. Paul was actually a young Christian, and Peter was a mature Christian. And so you see a young Christian rebuking the spiritual giant, and Peter didn't react the way he normally would have. So in this sense, even though Peter is one that's being rebuked, Peter is the more mature Christian because he received it. It takes a lot more discipline to receive rebuke than it does to be the one rebuking. 
you know, um, if you want to know if um, people's character are not, uh, you don't see it very well when things are going well. When things are going well, everything is fine, but when things begin to go bad, that's when you begin to see the worst of people. It's in those situations that you realize who is really what they say they are, right? And so when things don't go your way, how you respond is a bigger indicator of your relationship with Jesus than when things are going well. If whenever things don't go your way or you're offended, you react to it, that's a sign that you're still under the influence of the flesh or what the Bible calls the flesh. Because we're not supposed to be led by the flesh, we're supposed to be led by the spirit. And if we're supposed to be led by the spirit, then that means that the fruit of the spirit should be evident in our life. And so a mature Christian is one that, well, in this case, Peter received rebuke. <laughs> Because if someone rebukes you a certain way, you may want to give them a piece of your mind to let them know that you're not dumb. <laughs> you know? But if you're in a, a relationship in a house full of people with different backgrounds, it's very easy not to get offended. And that's what the Lord is requiring of, of us. And so, um, let's look at another example. Let's look at Acts chapter 4 and see how the apostles lived. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, I'll just, I guess I don't have a. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, uh, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So they had all things in common. What does that mean? Does that mean that there was no argument or no quarrel among them? Now, when the day of Pentecost happened, 3,000 people got saved, but they all got saved from different cultures. They, you know, the Acts chapter 2 named all the places, some from Africa, like Cyrene, some there were Greeks, some. So you have people who were from every walks of life, and now they added to the disciples. And you have a clash of cultures. So here it says they had everything in common. But we know that just a few chapters later, they were arguing because they didn't like how some of them were being treated. So it doesn't mean that there was no disagreement. It just meant that they let the main thing be the main thing. They forgave easily. Because in Acts chapter 6, there was complaint. But the disciples, they didn't let it first that they dealt with it right away. Which is another thing that the Lord calls us to do. If you're offended, 
He wants us to deal with it right away. If someone offends you, deal with it right away. What does that mean? You go to the person privately and you deal with it. You let them know and give them opportunity to explain themselves and to know that they hurt you. Because in my culture, what I think is joke to someone else is not a joke. And if I just come here and I didn't grow up here and we start to mingle, I don't know what is fair game in your culture or not. So you will need to understand my culture in order to be able to understand me. And you will be, you know, need to understand me in order to know, okay, what he means. You know, something I find very funny, well, it's not quite funny, but it happens a lot at work, which is like, maybe because of growing up in Nigeria, is that sometimes people will say something that's supposed to be offensive, but I don't really understand that it was supposed, I'm supposed to be offended. I don't read it that way. And they look at me somehow like, well, you didn't offend me, but because I didn't get what you were saying. <laughs> Maybe if I get what you were saying, I would have been offended, you know? Which is, in a way, it keeps you from offense. Because some people just know how to offend you. You know? But in living together, it means that we're going to be intentional in understanding each other, understanding where our weaknesses and faults are. Now, let's look at um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I hope you don't sleep on me because I'm not like what you already know. You see, there's a difference when pastor is preaching, right? Pastor is excitable, pastor is... That's his personality, right? But that's not my personality. And so, when you stand here, then you'll be your personality. God works through our personalities. He doesn't change our personalities. And so, if someone is bossy, they will be bossy. And if your boss is bossy, you need a lot of patience. <laughs> so, if someone that's bossy gets saved, they're not going to stop being bossy. Now, there's a book, something called Temperaments, right? Which I will mention a little bit. So, you can begin to think of what's your personality because you come across based on your personality you don't think about it how you address certain things right but then when the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you the Holy Spirit tries to bring chip of the ages so that you're not too agey <laughs> so you don't you know where you cut people maybe you slowly do it instead of just cut them that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is the Lord is working with all of us to get us to be more like 
Jesus. That means if you are a bossy kind of person, then God likes that because he made you that way. But he wants that to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. But then, if you're not a bossy kind of person and you're someone that's more like, you know, you like people, you don't want to offend people, you need a lot of, I don't know if I'll say patience, because sometimes the person may not react like you want them to react. Say if there is 911 or emergency, right, and someone that's bossy, they will just up and go and take action and take control. Someone that's not bossy, that's more like me, you know, will take their time. Yeah, they will take their time. And there is sometimes when that is good, and other times that's very annoying for someone that's bossy because they'll be like, you're wasting time. This emergency, you need to hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like my wife would say to me sometimes, you to with the kids, I need to hurry up or someone, you're just taking your time and right. So when you understand people and their personality types, then you'll be more patient with them. Because you realize that, okay, this is who they are, this is but then when we begin to walk with the Lord, the Lord will begin to walk with us so that we become more like Jesus. And that's what makes the body of Christ dynamic. Because we're all different. You need the bossy person, but there are situations when you don't need the bossy person because they will mess everything up. But there are situations you need the one that's more analytical. Right? But the, one, the person that's more analytical they keep track of everything. That means if you offend them, they will never forget. So you better not offend them because... So that person like that needs more time with learning forgiveness because it doesn't come easy. And they may have to work on it more. And so, talk about living together and understanding one another is about us understanding ourselves so we can give grace to other people because we also need grace. You know, I said that <laughs> when I'm at work, sometimes we go to emergency code, you know, when people are having cardiac arrest, right? And sometimes everybody, you see different personalities, you know, see people who are like, it's an emergency, you need to rush. But then you see other people like me who we don't act like it's emergency, it doesn't show outwards, even though inwardly we're feeling the same thing, but it doesn't come across the same way it comes across. And then afterwards people come to you and say, you seem so calm, aren't you like, I'm like, oh, I'm feeling the same thing you're feeling, except it doesn't come out that way. <laughs> I'm just as nervous as, <laughs> you know. But in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, let's read. Um, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers will not be hindered. So he's talking about marriage, but I'm just taking it in terms of relationship generally. He says, live with understanding. Now, 
You know, we are blessed in our church. We are wonderful. Marriages, who have been married, people have been married for 50 years. You know, I received the anointing for that, you know, if Jesus tarries. But if you're going to live together for that long, you will need a lot of forgiveness and patience, right? <laughs> right? So you've already practiced live with understanding. So we understand that, except when we come together as a body, we forget about that. We also need to live with understanding with one another. Because that's what makes, we need each other. You know, I remember sometimes in a co-worker, you get angry at them for one reason, but then in certain situations, the same thing that made you angry, you become thankful for that same personality trait. So that means that we all need each other, and we need to be careful where our weaknesses are. Because what's your strength today that, you know, you're happy in a different circumstances may cut you and hurt you. And so we need to live with understanding. Now, um, let me go through this quick. That will... So there are different personality types we know. There is uh, these are people who are outgoing, right? People who are what they what they say that. Uh, let me see here. Mm. You're either you're outgoing or you're reserved. You have uh, the sanguine, the phlegmatic, the choleric, and the melancholic. I'm just, yeah. So the introverts and the extroverts. Who is an extrovert here? You know, you like your... Yeah, and the people that are extroverts, they are not the people that are introverts. You know, also a pastor is an extrovert. You know, like, you know, he wants us to come here and when worship is going on, and some of us that are introverts, you don't want to do any of that. <laughs> you know, you want to be left to yourself, right? <laughs> I remember when I was in Wisconsin, I used to go to work and I wouldn't say anything. My co-worker said, what's, you don't say anything. Sometimes you don't even know that I'm there. I'll just be quiet and, <laughs> 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 you know. Then after a while, the Lord says, or oh, you go to church. When I come to church, I go all the way to the back. I don't know if you guys saw when I came here the first time. Right? My wife always sits in the same area at the front. I always sit at the back, right? And then someone will say, come to the front. You're looking for my trouble if you ask me to come to the front, because that's, well, now I'm in the front, right? But I like, I don't like to be seen. I like to be at the back. That's me, right? And then you marry someone that's, an, you know, like to be in front, right? You, yeah, see? So you learn. So the introverts and the extroverts, the Lord made us all that way, because he has use for every one of us. And so if you're an introvert, then you give grace to the extrovert because when they're angry, it comes out, right? 
he comes out and he may come out hot. And if you're on the receiving end, you need a lot of patience so you don't blow back at them and then you have fighting. <laughs> you know, but if you're an introvert, you kind of build everything in and you need to find a way to release it because if not, eventually it's going to explode and that's more explosive. See, it's like, I've never seen my dad angry. I'm like my dad. I've never seen him angry. But the one time I saw him angry, I was scared because I've never seen anything like that. And I begin to notice that in my life. People say, your patience. It's not that you're patient. It's just that you just bottle it in. But at a point, it comes out. But if you don't know how to release it, it's very explosive and dangerous. And then sometimes people who are more extroverted, they let out their feelings. Sometimes that's beneficial because that's, that's good. Because then when you let it out, you don't hold it in and it's gone. But it's someone that just holds everything in and they don't know how to release. So they need to learn how to release. And if you're in a relationship with someone like that, it's hard because they may never know how to say sorry. I have a mentor, and he's been married for 32 years, and I ask him, what's the toughest thing you've had to do in your marriage? He's like, my wife never says sorry. I don't, if you're not married, you don't understand. He's like, that's very hard. My wife, he doesn't say sorry. He never knows how to apologize, even when she's wrong. <laughs> So he has had to learn how to forgive, even when it's not asked, because if not, it's not good for him, right? But it's a relationship. And so in a church like ours, we have people from different backgrounds, and more people are coming from other different backgrounds, and they're going to rub your edges, and they're going to cut you sometimes with what they say. You know, I remember I was at work one day and uh, I always say things, so if I got out single and I didn't know that you're not supposed to be so direct. And I used to say, if you don't want to know the answer, then don't ask the question. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's just me. And so she asked the question in a young family. She said, how old do you think I am? I blotted out an answer. She said, you think I'm old? I'm like, I just answered. You asked. <laughs> you know, I like Andrew Womack. Anybody know Andrew Womack? Yeah, he just says it. It's like, if you don't want the answer, don't ask. <laughs> but when you understand people, you know, I say Andrew Womack has a kind of a grace. He says things that will get everybody in trouble, but he gets away with it. It takes some grace. You know, I remember when I was listening to him, it's like every month, women, they have their moment when they, they use it as an excuse. You're supposed to not use it as an excuse. I'm like, what? And women were there, they were listening. They didn't get offended. They're like, yeah, I can control it. Yeah, I don't know, I can. Like when we are going through the monthly, they say, don't use it as an example. It's an excuse to get angry and do all those. No, no, no. Well, if any other guy says it, they will be in trouble. But people understand him that he means well. See, the Bible says love does not take account of wrong. So when you love someone, even when they're doing something, 
You give them grace. You have reason to justify even when you know they're not doing well. Say, they, they, they don't mean well. I mean, they mean well. So, but how come when it comes to other relationship, we don't give each other grace when someone messes up? Say, okay, they messed up. Maybe they didn't mean to do that. Maybe they came out of, uh, say, an abusive relationship. Right? And that's the environment they came out. It's going to be very difficult for them to relate. And so when they begin to open up, if they get shut down, then it's like, it's worse. They go the way back and they never open up. So we need understanding to live in oneness, to live together. The Bible says that unity is like the oil that runs from Aaron's beard. It starts from the top. So unity is a spiritual thing. It starts from the top and it comes down. And so if you are in leadership, if you are, then you need to be more understanding of people. When people come to you, sometimes, you know, they're going through some things and they say some things or they act somehow, you give them grace. You know, you forgive because we are one body. And for us to live like the apostles did, imagine overnight 1,000 people. If 1,000 people got saved and came to our church right now, what do you think will happen here? You will become a leader whether you like it or not. <laughs> because you've been here coming here and sitting here and they're brand new. So they will be looking to you whether you like it or not. So you need to grow up quick. Whether you grow up a Christian or young Christian or baby Christian, it doesn't matter because they're the babyest. So sometimes the Lord is working on us because we say the harvest is coming. The problem is not the harvest, the problem is us. If 100 LGBT people get saved and they show up in church right now, they show up in our church, and they're brand new believers. They don't know anything about, I mean, they're going to come dressed the way they know how. Right? And when they walk up inside here, what's the first thing you're going to say? You look at them, you judge them, right? And they feel it. And they leave and they never come back. Now, we know Mohammed Gandhi, right? Everybody know Gandhi? Gandhi believed Jesus. He believed everything that Jesus did. The only problem is he said he has never met a Christian who actually believed Jesus enough to practice what Jesus said. So he decided, well, I'm from India. Oh, he's from India. I know that they have class. We have the rich, the poor, everybody is segregated. So he decided, I'll go to, he was in England, he said, I'll go to a church because Christians have the Bible, and the Bible says love everybody. So that means that Christians must be the loving, most loving people. I don't mind when Hindus hate me because their book doesn't say love your enemies, but Christians, their book says love your enemies. There shouldn't be class. And he walked into a church, and the first person he met was an usher. And the usher said, 
You're from India. What are you doing here? You should be where people like you are. And he turned around and left. And he never gave his life to Jesus, at least that we know of. Because he said, if Christians are just like my people in India, oh man. Say, I believe Jesus. I just haven't met a Christian who believed Jesus enough to live what Jesus preached. So God doesn't have problem with unbelievers because they are unbelievers. God has problem with us. You know, Jesus, I was listening to one man of God, and he was saying that Jesus was telling him that he loves hanging out with prostitutes. Jesus. He loves hanging out with prostitutes and drug dealers because they are real. They don't fake. They know that they're sinners. They don't fake. But how many people in sitting in church are real about the issues they're having? Jesus says, I'm not concerned about their prostitution and stuff because I can fix it. They're real with me. They share it with me. So I can... But I'm more concerned about people in church who don't tell me what they're dealing with, even though I'm seeing it. And they hide it. But every day they come to church and they profess to know me, but they don't, they're not honest. Let's be honest with one another. When someone opens up to you about a weakness or what they're going through, it's not an opportunity for you to broadcast it and tell everybody their weakness or tell them how spiritual you are. It's more a reason for you to pray for them. And if you've been forgiven or delivered of a weakness or something, and you know how the Lord helped you, that's more reason for us to do the same to one another. See, I work in a hospital, right? When people come to the hospital when they're sick, you never see a nurse or a doctor make fun of them and say, why are you sick? Why are you here? You should be out there. You come here drunk, and don't you know you should know better? Well, even though you know that, you never actually say that, right? It's the same way in church. People come to church because they have problems. It's a spiritual hospital. So we should be like nurses and doctors to help them so that they can meet the ultimate physician, Jesus, and they will be healed. And so, I guess that's, that's where I'll be stopping. But I want us to begin to think about our personalities and how we react with one another. When someone offends you, Take a step backwards. Let's go to James. Uh, let's see if I can find it. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. 
Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to rot. For the wrath of man walketh not the righteousness of God. Now, let's put this in terms of personality. It says, <clears throat> let every man be swift to hear. Now, if someone has a running mouth, it says, be swift to hear, slow to speak. If someone has a compulsiveness to just... Uh, there's this story I had about pastors. They were out on a boat and they wanted... They said, okay, it's just us. We're pastors, right? What's our weaknesses? And the other one, one pastor shared his weakness about you know, women and all those things. And the other person shared about his weakness where he lies. And then there's another one that shared about his weakness. And one didn't share. And they're like, we cannot get off the boat until you tell us what your weakness is. He's like, well, my weakness is gossip. And I can't get out of this boat soon enough so I can tell everybody. <laughs> says, be quick to hear. Now, if you're someone that's very patient, right, you think about things before you say it, you're pretty quick to hear and slow to speak because you think about it. But if you're someone that doesn't think about it, if you're like Peter, Peter just blots out. You know, Peter is like the sanguine, the one that's it's a party kind of person. You know, before, even before you say something, he already knows what you're going to say and he has an answer for you. The only problem is because he doesn't pay attention to actually listen to you, many times he doesn't know what you're asking and he ends up like, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Even before Jesus said, he said, I'm not going to deny you, I'll die with you. You can count on me 100%. Then a few hours later, I don't know him, right? <laughs> That's Peter. Now think about Thomas. Thomas is more like the melancholy, the more analytical type of person. He takes thought and plans everything before he does it. And they told him, Jesus is alive. We saw him. He's like, I'm not going to believe you until I see him, until I touch my hands in the side. I'm not going to believe. Why would I take your word for it? I saw you. You say many things you don't mean. I'm not going to put my life at risk for what you say. <laughs> but when Jesus came and confronted Thomas, Thomas was the first person to worship Jesus among the apostles and said, my Lord and my God. He came from the heart after an encounter. So some people who are more analytical, they don't jump with the crowd. They take thought. They analyze everything, but when they make a decision, they're 100% in. But because it takes them time, they may analyze everything. They may, you know, if you hang around people who are too analytical, they don't make decisions easily. But when they do, they're all in. And then you have Peter, who is like the bossy, I mean Paul, Paul is like the bossy kind of person. 
You know, you mess up once and you're done. That's it. You know, uh, Mark was supposed to go with Paul and Barnabas. And Mark decided, maybe Mark was a younger Christian. So, you know, I need to see my parents. And then another time, Mark wanted to come. Paul was like, I can trust you. You deserted me, so I can trust you. He said, you're not coming. There was such a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas separated over Mark. But then many years later, Paul realizes that Mark was actually useful to him because Barnabas stood up and didn't desert Mark because he was a young believer. He took him and trained him. And then later on, he became useful to Paul. So if you're under someone like Paul, you better not mess up because you may be one and done. <laughs> right? So personalities... So we need to, when we read the scripture, say, how does this affect my personality? I may be someone that's easy to forgive, but then how about other area? I may need to give grace to someone that doesn't come naturally. So in our church, the Lord is going to bring many people, and he's going to expect us that are more mature, to be more understanding of people, be more understanding of people who don't agree with you. You know, we get very political, but the kingdom of God is not political. Jesus said, watch out for the spirit of the Pharisees and the spirit of the Herod. That's a political spirit. One of the most dangerous things is when a Christian becomes very politically minded and they don't follow the Lord. Because the people that killed Jesus were the Christians and the politicians together. A political spirit, very dangerous. We're called to be kingdom-minded. So take a step back from your politics and say, Lord, how do you see this person? Okay, I don't agree with them, but they, you love them. I know you don't believe it. God loves your enemies. He doesn't want Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you. I know you don't believe it. Jesus died for President Biden just as much as he did for President Trump. And he doesn't want him to go to hell. And so he keeps giving opportunities. Now think about this. In Revelation, think about this, the nature of God. In the letters to the churches, Jesus said that about Jezebel, he gave him room to repent. Jesus gave Jezebel room to repent. If God can give his enemies enough grace to repent, that means we have a long way to go to give each other grace. Hallelujah. I know this is not the typical message. But I believe that this is what we need. Because we need to learn to forgive one another and learn to live together and appreciate one another. The world in such a, is in such a mess that just if, if you can see a black Christian and a white Christian love each other, love God and live together, that's a powerful testimony because the world expects you to hate each other and be at each other's throat. 
But the kingdom of God is calling us to do something different. I want to model that here, where we're not offended at people, where we give them grace. Amen. Let's, uh, let's just pray. And um, if, uh, if there's area in this where you're struggling, just surrender it to the Lord. And ask the Lord to help you, to give you grace, to let go. If there's people that in our midst, in our church, that you're having difficulties letting go of offense, just surrender it to the Lord and ask the Lord to help you. Because that's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. You need to be set free. We need to be set free. We need each other. We need each other. You know, very soon, very soon, we may not be able to meet like this. Very soon. And I'm telling you, it's coming. It's not a matter of if. Because the Lord wants a church that is united. And if there are areas where we're holding on against each other, he's going to put us in a situation where we must love each other. Realize that our enemies are more united than we are. We are more powerful than they are. But our disunity keeps us from gaining authority. The Lord doesn't need unbelievers in America to do anything for America to change. All the Lord needs is for believers in America to come together in one accord. But that seems to be the hardest thing to do. But if we can do it overnight, America will change. But because the church hasn't gotten to the point of doing that, that's why we're in the situation we're in. And that's why we're going to go through what we're going to go through. Because the Lord wants to bring the church to a point where the church will be a place that will represent him. It's going to be glorious, my friend that you are going to do miracles. You are going to pray and you are going to see the dead raised. Because that's where we are going. You are going to pray. Soon the scientists won't have the solution. We've learned from COVID that <laughs> they say follow the science. They themselves don't follow the science. <laughs> right? But you are going to pray and God is going to listen to you. Because you are going to reach across and pray for someone that's in need, that needs Jesus, even though you don't like them, they need Jesus. And Jesus will say, I want you to reach across. The Lord does that. I was talking yesterday and it just occurred to me. The Lord puts the blessing you need most times in the hand of someone you despise so that you can reach across this aisle or humble yourself. The Lord does that a lot. And so let's ask the Lord to give us a heart that bears with one another, that truly loves that truly lets go of our opinions and ask God, what is your opinion? Father, we thank you.
for this time, Lord. Father, I ask you to help every one of us. This is not easy, Lord. Because you're asking us to die to ourselves and let go of our opinions. Help us to learn to live together, to understand one another, to give each other grace. We thank you, Lord, for our pastors and what you're doing through them and where you're taking us. We cover them in the blood of Jesus. You know, if you, don't need, if you need prayer, you can come to the front. My wife and I, we can pray for you. If there's anything you need prayer-wise, you know, we can pray for you right now. If you want to um, come to the front, I don't know if, uh, Joe, if you can put the I Surrender song on the background so you can just play. If people want to come and surrender to the Lord areas or things they're struggling with, you can come and do it. That's what the church is for. You know, you don't want to live the same way you came. You want the Lord to change you, to help you. The Lord wants to help us, but the Lord cannot help us if we're not willing to be helped. And so if you need help in anything, come to the Lord. Sometimes just kneeling down, it's a humbling thing to kneel down and ask the Lord to help me, help me. But when you do, you see he's more than willing to help you. Amen. And I will dismiss if you don't have any Need on God bless you. Yes. Oh yes.